passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Long and Winding Royal Road, a special episode. As we, I've gone on a Long and Winding Royal Road from my home, where I normally record this show, to to the, uh, what do we call this place, the Chateau de Fucked Up? I guess, I guess the the, the house that MP3's built. <laughs> there you go. So I'm, I'm in the home of, of, of noted punk rocker, Damien Abraham, the host of his own podcast, Turn Out of Punk. Yes. Uh, media celebrity. Did, did, did a show for Vice called The Wrestlers. Great show, by the way. Thank Good you very much. I really appreciate and, that. That uh, means a lot coming from you. I mean that honestly. And and he's he was kind enough to say, WH, you know, for the last show of two, 2022, why don't you come to my house and we'll talk about um, kind of not the 90s of all Japan, but the 80s of all Japan, because we're going to talk about somebody Damien has met yes. in person who started off in all Japan in the 80s and then became a bigger figure in the 90s somewhere else. But we'll talk about him in a second. But, uh, Dean, thank you for so much for inviting me over here. It's an honor to have you here because I've been a fan of you for a long time. Speaking, you know, continue on the long and winding road. I think, you know, yourself talking about Japanese pro wrestling, kind of bringing it into Because at the time, you know, like now it's a different world we live in where there's a lot more sort of accessibility to Japanese wrestling product for people in north america in in the english-speaking world but at the time it was still pretty underground i had friends that traded tapes so i kind of was familiar with it but it was like you and your former broadcasting partner kind of contextualizing a lot of stuff hearing that and the work of bahu fmw and bahu's work uh, kind of preserving that stuff and mouth mouth doing those fmw dvds <laughs> that was like this is what got me into this stuff so it's an honor to be here i feel like being a fan of the show, I'm one of the least knowledgeable guests you will ever have on here, but I do have personal experience that relates to the topic. I, that, that's the most important thing, but it's okay. You don't have to be a huge fan of 90s All Japan to be on this show. We've I've had tons of guests who who aren't necessarily super fans of it, but like I like introducing it mm-hmm. to, to people. But but we're not going to talk about 90s All Japan. Maybe the next time you're on the show. Oh, I would love to because I think we'll, that we'll is... watch a movie. We'll match watch a match from that era. Yeah, and I think that's like. You know, that's like, uh, to put into music terms, which is obviously where I spend most of my time, that to me is like, you know, like that is the the, the Stooges or the, the, the Black Flag, like just canonical, the best wrestling of all time. And I think if you are a wrestling fan, you know, you watch that stuff. Yeah. And so I'm very much familiar with it, not nearly as familiar as some of the guests who have been on. I feel weird if I'm following directly after Tom Lawler, which is going to be a big shoes to fill, but... Oh, he can't punk out. <laughs> Punk rock out like you can. No, and so. I actually, when I met him in person, the thing we bonded over was John and Way. I just went up to him and I said, "Hello, I'm a friend of John and Way's," <laughs> and that was my my end. That's going to be my end in person. Besides, like having done a, a podcast with, with yeah. Tom. But uh, we're we're here. This is our last episode of 2022, and I wanted Damien on this show to talk about a match from the 80s. We're going to talk actually about someone who's not really associated with all japan necessarily he's more associated with a company called frontier martial arts wrestling fmw as you can see uh this t-shirt signed by the person we're gonna talk about his name is sushi onita uh but he started off in the all japan dojo he was actually considered really the true first graduate of that dojo Mm -hmm. not masawa but masawa debuted earlier no no sorry a jumbo debuted earlier he's like a peer of jumbo saruta and jidichiro tenru but Jumbo trained with the Funks in Emerald, Texas. Uh, Onita actually trained in the All Japan Dojo with uh, with like the guys like Baba and all the other guys training people in that dojo. So he's from that system. It's interesting. We're going to talk about like his career trajectory from being a junior heavyweight in all in All Japan do- in All Japan Pro Wrestling. Then he retires for a little little while, and then he goes to create 
FMW and really modern deathmatch wrestling yeah. is attributed to him. I think modern wrestling in a lot of ways could be attributed to him too. Like just in the presentation of it, like obviously the, the, the modern deathmatch stuff, which has become very mainstream at this point. But I think you look at the influence he would have on, on ECW and kind of the cross pollination that would go on there. And I think it is pivotal to like where wrestling is now. And I think that's the thing about him that I love is that he's constantly reinventing himself. Like he was elected to the Japanese diet for a while and then he had to leave because he had a threesome with a porn star. And I think it was like the receptionist for the minister of transportation or something. And it's in his office. And it's, he's this guy who he's like a less evil Ric Flair in a lot of ways, in the sense that he is like, <laughs> he's just always there and always finds a way Jeff Jarrett esque in yeah. some ways too. Like he's, he's always going to be, and he's just got that charisma. Anyway, I, I, I'm, I don't he's, mean to... uh, he, but you know, who else got elected was the great Sasuke yeah. with, with a mask on <laughs> without using his real name. So it doesn't really say too much about the Japanese diet, to be honest with you. And Tony Noki got in and he, he was like real with, just as many scandals as maybe more than Onita, yeah. to be honest with you. So anyways, getting elected to the Japanese diet isn't really an accomplishment. It's kind of easy <laughs> to think about it. But anyways. I, I will, though, say, though, you know, if you're going to get elected to something like that, the, you have to get kicked out spectacularly. And yes. I, I think it's hard to su- overcome that. No. Hey, if I was going to if I was going to get kicked out of like, you know, anything like post wrestling. Uh, sure. <laughs> maybe those circumstances would be my way of going out. <laughs> three some in the post wrestling. Well, we won't say anything more than that. Like I, you know, Wade's gonna be like, "Oh, I gotta edit that out" or something like that. Anyways, we we shall move on. Um, so in the eighties, so this is gonna be really interesting to talk about him in the eighties because he was the cornerstone of a fledgling junior heavyweight division in all Japan, which was more known for like you know heavyweight wrestling, but because New Japan really took off with like guys like Tatsumi Fujinami, Dynamite Kid, Tiger Mask, and they really popularized. New Japan's junior heavyweight division, which was like gaining popularity throughout wrestling in Japan. Bob was like, okay, well, I got to do something. Unfortunately, he did not have like the kind of talents that, mm-hmm. that New Japan did, but he had a good crop of guys who were in that w- rate range, including Onita, including Masanobu Fuchi, who Onita and Fuchi were kind of really tied together as a tag team for a long time. They went to, they did excursion in, in Memphis, I believe. They're part of the concession for all. Yeah, they were there for the second concession, two-blow concession brawl. And I think they also wrestled in Puerto Rico for a while, which led to Terry Funk. Uh, well, it led to Onita having to stay at Terry Funk's house because he refused to, I guess, let another guy go over him in the way that they wanted him to. And so they beat the shit of him backstage. And when he was recuperating, he went to Terry Funk's house for a while. And that's where he said he really became familiar with barbed wire. Because he would have to do the barbed wire, putting it up every day on the uh, fences around the farm. The Double Cross Ranch? <laughs> yeah. The wow. Double Cross what, what a career. This man has worked <laughs> as a farmhand on the Double Cross Ranch, among his many other like achievements and accolades in, in the world of wrestling. He's in a Godzilla movie, right? Onita? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, he's I, in one when he retired from wrestling and he went into acting. He did one of the Godzilla films. <laughs> I did not know that. I think these things we learned about Asusha Onita here on this episode. But uh, today... We're going to talk about Onita as a junior heavyweight. We're going to talk about um, his match he has in uh, in 1983 on April 20th at the uh, uh, Tokyo Metropolitan Gymnasium as part of the All Japan Grand Champion Carnival Tour. This is day 25. The attendance is listed on this on this as uh, 11,000 on cage match. So I'll maybe work. I don't know. It, it, looked, like, it, it looked packed. It looked packed. It yeah. was a very, very lively crowd, too. I, that's what I thought, too. I thought it was, this was a really loud crowd for a Japanese wrestling crowd, in my experience. So, so pardon me as I look at my notes. You usually have them on a separate screen, because I'm on my, my home on my computer, but I'm at, I'm at a guest zone, so I have to bring it on my phone. I also there. now know why John and Wei sit across from each other, as opposed to this weird angle that we're Yeah, so, like, uh, <laughs> we, tr- we should try to look at the camera as much as possible yeah. to, to all the, the listeners, and if you're watching on the YouTube, um, but we're going to, we're going to talk about the NWA international junior heavyweight title. This is a title brought over by Chavo Guerrero senior Hector's brother. The bro- and both of these guys are the older brothers of, of the legendary Eddie Guerrero. Mm-hmm. And um, so he brought this title over 
Baba basically kept this title belt because this is the title belt that we use when it becomes the PWF junior heavyweight title in the nineties and into the two thousands. Um, but uh, yeah, so Chavo, Chavo senior, Onita feared over this title. Onita eventually got the, the belt. Um, and uh, Hector uh, worked two tours in all Japan. So we're going to talk about his match with, with Hector Guerrero, not, not Chavo senior. Maybe we'll do one of those in the future. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he did two tours in uh, in all Japan in 1983 and in 84. Uh, he primarily worked singles and tags with both Harley Race and Gypsy Joe in 83, oh, wow. which is kind of interesting. I kind of hope I kind of try to look for those kinds of those matches because Gypsy Joe would also come back and wrestle a lot in uh, early FMW. Right? Yeah, so it's it's the connection there, yeah. right? So uh, in 84, I saw him wrestle primarily with his brother Chavo Senior, especially in the uh, Real World Junior Tag League of that year. So he, he had, uh, I think he had fun. He looked like he, he, he got over. We were talking about the, in this match, he got over with this crowd. Yeah. It's all Japan crowd. Okay. So I want to talk about, we get, let's get into the card. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about the other matches that on, that were on this card. So our opener was a singles match between Yoshihiro Momoda, who, who defeated a young Toshaki Kawada in nine minutes and five seconds. Uh, Nobuyoshi Sugawara defeats Masaji Goto. In nine minutes thirty-two, uh, tag team match: Great Kujika and Motoshi Okuma defeat Rocky Hara and Shiro Koshinaka. Eleven forty-four. A lot of these are familiar names, right? Yeah. Koshinaka, yeah. Kawada, uh, Kujika. Kujika create big Japan for us, like so. Yeah, so like a future, like a lot of like, I guess it's like before <laughs> the changing of the guard would happen. But this is when all these young people are kind of yeah. first stepping in. And these, and it's it's interesting to see like a lot of people who started with Baba in the seventies and eighties would be pioneers of deathmatch wrestling in Japan. Mm. If I'm only with MW and Kojika with big Japan for wrestling. Yeah. It's weird how that works too. Like that, because it feels like uh deathmatch wrestling, at least in, in um, Onita's case was really born out of necessity. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting how, I don't know wh- where they both kind of come from the same place. It, it is interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think maybe Kojika was inspired by the success of Onita. Yeah. Maybe. I don't, I don't know that for a fact, but I have to assume that that might be the case. Uh, another tag team match, uh, Mighty Inoue and Takashi Ishikawa defeated Mitsuharu Misawa in Ultra 7. I have to remember what this Ultra 7 That's a brand of yeah. cigarettes over there. So I don't know if that was a sponsorship deal or not. That would be amazing. Come the ring smoking. It's like doing the Sandman thing. That, and it's <laughs> and just like, Onita too. It's just like maybe pointing at the camera. <laughs> Ultra 7. Uh, anyways, uh, singles match. Uh, Asahara Hara defeated Gypsy Joe by disqualification. 11 minutes, 12 seconds. Jinichiro Tenru. Went to a time limit draw with Jumbo Saruta. Whoa. 30-minute time limit draw between those two? Got to find that match. Yeah, yeah that would be a sure. good match. Uh, the match we're going to talk about, Anita versus Hector Guerrero. And then uh, for the PWF heavyweight title, Giant Baba, the champion of the time, took on Harley Race to a double countout, of course, in 11 minutes, 24 seconds. You don't get clean finishes between Baba and Harley Race, who's going to be protected by the NWA. And finally, our main event was a World Tag Team League match. Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen defeated the Funk Brothers, Dory Jr. and Terry Funk by countout in 13 minutes and 55 seconds. So, again, this, one too. The, the era where no one's going to do a job no. to each other. And so it's booked like this. But uh, it, if this was the 90s, there would have been a decisive winner. Bob would have said, put a foot down, said, one of you is going to lose. It's, it's hard to say who you would pick because Hanson was his man, but he yeah. loved the Funk Brothers. He loved both those guys. Yeah, I, think the, I kind of think, though, in that situation, it would be the Funk Brothers losing. I think they would be more amenable to yeah. losing than... <laughs> I can see the well, you know, the interesting thing is, like, we'll talk about this. Like, I'll talk about this with on a future episode of, of the, like, this show with when I do my Stan Hanson biography episode. But, you know, Hanson was trained by the Funk Brothers. Mm-hmm. So he has a very really good relationship mm-hmm. with those guys. So he'd be like, oh, yeah, we'll put it over Stan. We like him. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think that... And I feel like Terry Funk, like... That's another person like hearing him on Cole Cabana's podcast, kind of breaking down the difference between Japanese wrestling and American wrestling. Um, you know, he just seems to have such a, a really good understanding of what's good for wrestling. And yeah. That's what he always seems like he's doing is like, is this good for wrestling at the end of the day? Oh yeah. True professional. Both, yeah. both, both, the, every, almost everyone in this match, Bruce and Brody, you know, <laughs> you know rest, rest in peace. Love Bruce and Brody, but you know, more interested in his, his own business rather than the, the greater, good of the business but stan hansen little i think stan has ultimately he's going to put over the business and but the funk brothers consummate professionals yes absolutely so so for sure so let's get into this match it's Mm -hmm. it's between onita 
and Hector Guerrero for the NWA International Junior Heavyweight title. And and I'm going to kind of go through this. It's not just so people know. It's not a long match. We're going to talk more about history of, like, Onita. Because, like, yeah, I got this guy. He's, he's got to talk. I got to, you know, use him as a great the great resource that he is about about this subject. But um, Hector is already in the ring. He's wearing this beautiful, by the way, like, gold outfit. This ring jacket, the gold tights, and the black boots. I thought... He, this guy looks like a star yeah. in gold. If you wear gold, you better carry it off. And I think Hector carried off really well. I think everything about him, like where even the way he's like right off the bat, he just feels like, like on another level of presentation, like this is not going to be just some pushover type person too. He looks to, like the whole family. Obviously he's coming from like a wrestling dynasty. There's a story where Conan talks about where he would go into his, to Gory's house, and there'd be a photo, a giant photo of Gory doing a push up, and all the sons on his back oh my God, that's as he's doing this push up. And it's just like, this is wrestling royalty. Oh, yeah. It's like we talk about the, the Samoan dynasty. We, mm-hmm. You know, the, you have like the, the, the Von Erics and the Hart family, but you also have to talk about the Guerreros. The Guerreros, absolutely. Yeah, one of the biggest dynasties in wrestling. Um, Onita comes out. Hector's already in the ring. Onita comes out. Not the wild thing, because it's pre, pre, pre wild thing entrance thing. It's to this really like funky disco theme, which I, I really liked. I've got a bunch of uh, all Japan records and, and I, I do like the kind of like funkier theme musics on there too. You know, the soundtrack albums you can get when you're in Japan yeah. and they're all like, you know, they're pretty cheap when you're over there. That, that's like one of the more affordable things I buy when I'm over there. I have, I, I bought two copies of Terry Funk's Japanese records. He sings on them though, right? He, he sings on them. Yeah. I, I, awesome. And I, and I gave one to, to Mike Murray. Who may or may not be giving it to, to Dan the Muffle Ramsky in the future? I don't know. He might he just keep that for himself. Once for me, I kept the one for myself because I like. One of these days, I'm gonna actually, you know, break out, get get a new record player, and play this, listen to it. I probably have. I can help you out with some records when you got a record player. Okay, I've got some extras. Well, there you go. Wow, it's, it's, it's <laughs> this trip to this house is turning out even better than than uh, than I thought it would be. But Onita's in his trademark blue tights. Mm-hmm. Onita uh, written on the ass of his tights. I think and, this uh, is, oh no, that's not this one. So that that's it. Yep. Without without with the other shirt. Without the uh, without the uh, without the uh, the tank top, it doesn't have the Onita Redonis. Yeah, ass. no, this one doesn't. There's a new toy coming out though, um, uh, which has the actual true Onita original costume with the Onita on the ass. There, there you go. He also has his great ring jacket, blue and yeah. white, <laughs> satin, wonderful. I love ring jackets from the seventies and eighties. So, uh, so let's see. Uh, Anita is sporting a bandage on his forehead. So he was already a bleeder back in the eighties, mm-hmm. even just in an ultimate, he was like bleeding all the time. Uh, before the bell even rings, it's great. There's a lot of heat. Guerrero and Anita just engage in a slap fight with one another. Cause Guerrero's like, that's my brother's bell. That's my family's bell. I'm taking it back to America. And they just start slapping each other. Oh, it's awesome. Great start to this match before the match even starts. Uh, let's continue. Uh, so let's get into the match. Uh, Onita hits a shoulder block off the ropes. Guerrero gets up and leapfrogs over Ness. He also flips out of an Onita backdrop. From here, they go back and forth, trading the advantage with one another. So all like it's actually you know like a really good high flying match already, especially from Hector. He's mm-hmm. doing a lot of the flips and flying stuff already at the start of this match, just trying to get advantage with over over Onita. And a good size differential too for like he's a little bit bigger than Onita, and so it has that kind of uh, you know fighting from underneath feel to it. Yeah, Guerrero gets the advantage with an armbar that he turns into a hammerlock. Onita tries to escape with a headlock and flip, but Hector maintains wrist control. A, a big theme in today's wrestling: wrist yeah. control. <laughs> if I never hear that term again, it'll be uh, it'll be too soon. I, Every, I hate that term. Everything old is new again. That's right. Wrist control. Important in the 80s and important to one Kazuchika Okada these days. Uh, Guerrero tosses Onita to the outside and follows up with attacking his arm some more, slamming it onto a table on the outside. Very basic kind of like you know, American-style uh, brawling match now it turns into, and and it, it's going to devolve even further. Well, mm-hmm. devolve or evolve, however you want to look at it. Yeah, like I, I love the fact that it does go outside and there is tables right away, which I guess, I don't know, was that as common in all japan i guess now it's yeah, so much of like so much a, brawling yeah like, you know like because it is a promotion that is like based around the style of the funk brothers because they they trained jumbo they were super tight with baba they 
help in a lot of ways they helped found all japan right mm-hmm. so they were the first real big foreigners to come over and and become stars in japan like i always say like if you were to ask nine people on the streets of japan who a famous wrestler that they they're aware of us nine times out of ten they're gonna say stan hansen mm-hmm. but i'd say seven times out of ten they might say terry funk yeah, as a, like a, a non-Japanese wrestler, they, they'd say. Because, like, I know yeah. Baba is the person they Baba are. and Noki. Oh, Noki, absolutely, yeah. too. Yeah, but if you are asking about a foreign wrestler, yeah. who's a famous foreign wrestler that wrestled a lot in Japan? Stan Hansen. Then it's Terry Funk. Mm-hmm. It's not Ken Chan, okay? Like, very few people know who he is. It's just sorry to burst some of your dreams out there. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so Hector basically owns Onita in this match and is clearly a superior wrestler to him. I don't think that's a, that's a that's a far cry to say like Onita very decent like wrestler technical wrestler but not a great wrestler Hector's pretty good yeah Onita I feel like at every step of the way he does the best with what he's got and it's he's like he always makes the most of what he's got and, yeah and and whatever that skill is and that's you know post injury when he does FMW like that's where he invents in a whole new style to kind of compensate for what he can't do anymore yeah. And, yeah, you're right. He's definitely getting eaten alive. Kind of. We'll talk about like because something happens at the end of this post match that I'm just like, really? <laughs> this, maybe this is this is the the start of the end for his his junior heavyweight career. Uh, Onita gains a momentary advantage with some chops to the midsection, but Guerrero ducks out of a shoulder block in the corner, and Onita eats the steel post on the outside instead. Uh, Hector applies the cobra twist, but Onita gets to the ropes. Hector continues his assault, but Onita finally reverses the fortunes with a giant Baba-style neckbreaker clothesline. You can see this is like where, oh, that's that's very much inspired by his mentor, mm-hmm. Giant Baba there. Mm-hmm. So um, not something he, he keeps in his FMW career, I don't believe. No, well, I guess he, he would adapt to his opponents, but it's definitely not like a staple. Uh, Onita starts doing some high flying moves. He yeah. goes for a top rope missile dropkick. Looks great. He hits a, a tor- tilt-to-whirl backbreaker, and then he goes for a top rope headbutt, but Guerrero gets out of the way, so there's no water in the pool, as, <laughs> as they say. Uh, Hector goes for goes after the forehead with closed fist. He hip-tosses Onita and follows up with a nice head scissors takedown, and then another... This is kind of reminds me of like a, a Lenny Poffo like a jobber match mm. in the WWF back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a drop, there's a drop kick that sends Anita back out of back out of the ring, and then Hector flies over the top rope with a nice looking early style tope con hilo, mm-hmm. uh, and knocks Onita down. Uh, Hector back inside the ring, and Anita is able to hit a flying sunset flip and gets a close two count. Good move, good looking uh, flying move from Onita there. Onita hits a big boot to the face that sends Hector to the outside, and then hits a regular tope to press his advantage. Hector versus a suplex attempt back into the ring and gets a two count. Onita is able to hit a German suplex and gets the one, two, three in nine minutes and 54 seconds. It's a very short match, less than 10 minutes, which, hey, I'm not going to complain about. Once in a while, you got to talk about the short matches. But I thought... And a kick out kind of a, almost like two oh, and three, three. Kick Yeah, Scott Hostile. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kick out of three. It's how you protect yourself in the business, as they say. Um, but very short match. Yep. Um, and Onita gets the win, but I got to assume like Baba okayed the you kick out of three. Yeah. Whatever. You yeah. Know? So, but it doesn't end there, Damien. No. This is where it gets the Onita theater. This is this is where it actually becomes more interesting is the post-match. So uh, Hector is disputing the finish and gets into a post-match brawl with Onita, where Onita hits him with a steel chair to the head and Hector actually, you can see him do this. Yeah. He blades himself and he blades himself with a gusher because he is bleeding really badly in this ma- in, at this point. Now this is actually where I learned about blading was from all Japan. And I'm trying to remember what match it was, but I worked with a video store at the time with this uh, guy, Glenn Salter, who had an incredible collection. He was friends with mouth and had an incredible collection of videos like wrestling tapes and he would bring in stuff and we just watch it in the video store. And I remember watching, I think it was, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember what it was, but it maybe the Road Warriors or something. And there's blood. And I'm like, how do they do that? And he's like, oh, it's a blade. And I'm like, what? And he's like, oh, it's a, it's a little bit of razor blade. They take aspirins and use a little razor blade. I'm like, oh. And prior to that, I've been hitting myself in the head with the microphone. I still have some scarring from it. 
And then after that, I realized, oh, you just have to use a razor blade. And that's when I started blading on stage. Tape it. Yeah. <laughs> Ric Flair talks about it. He, he tape it, tape it, thin razor blade like that. I, You know, first time I ever learned about blading, Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy, WrestleMania 2 cage match. Oh, you can yeah. see, you can see the Bobby the Brain Heenan do the blade on Bundy outside the outside of the he ring. He cut him for him. Yeah, he cut him for him. So <laughs> that's how I learned about. What's he doing? That's weird. Oh, now Bundy's bleeding. Oh, I get it. The business was exposed by Bobby the Brain Heenan. I, well, you know that's one of those things that even when you get it exposed and you tell most people how they do it, they're like even more grossed out than finding if they were actually busted open the right. Way. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think they're it's cutting themselves. Yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, so from here, like, uh, you know, where, where am I? Uh, they continue fighting and the crowd starts. You know, this is the best yeah. part. The crowd starts chanting Guerrero. Guerrero's like, no, I don't need his name. And are firmly behind him as he hits Onita with the championship championship belt and busts Onita open as well. Now Onita's bleeding like Gusher. And I, I, I have my, my, my notes for like this, Damien. It's like, this would have been better in the body of the match. Yeah. Well, that's what I was wondering because I'm trying to – this was before – he went to America, right? And got injured because he got, he went, he got injured and then he came back. And when he came back with the injury, I'm trying to remember he had the title then because that's when eventually uh, he's told by Bob, like, you don't got it. You got to retire. And that's when he yeah. goes into early retirement. I was like, is this after that point? And he can just not go. No, he, cause he, he retires in like, I'm going to say a couple years later, 86 okay. or 87. Okay. So it is way before yeah. that. Uh, this is no, this is still a point where he's still wrestling. He does the excursion in Memphis, right? Yeah, before this, and then comes back, and then he does another excursion, I guess. And he does it the second excursion after that's when he gets injured. Though. Yeah, okay. if, if if there's anyone listening who has, uh, yeah, Bahu, yeah, <laughs> fact, uh, fact check this <laughs> in the comments on the YouTube video or or the post wrestling forums. Uh, but, um, yeah, they they this is this, I think it's hilarious, actually. Yeah. I think it's hilarious. Guerrero's more over in this match than Onita. Uh, they they have a much more interesting post match brawl where they're bleeding. I just I just think that was hilarious. The best part though, this is my favorite part because the best part is when Onita. It's all done. Guerrero's going back to the back to the dressing room. Onita's on the apron. He's like signaling, "I'm actually the one. I won this brawl too, along with the match." He jumps off the apron onto the f- ground, and then he collapses because he he his knees. This out. is when he gets the injury. This is yes. the injury because that's what it was. He was leaving the ring and busted out his knees. Um, and that's how it was. It wasn't even in a match when he got no. his injury. That so this must be the the match. Yeah, so oh, wow. and then it it's so bad. Like I'm sorry, I'm not saying yeah. it's funny, but like and historically it's fine. He he has a great career. Honestly, stemming from this, his career is just he makes so much money yeah well it's interesting to see what would have happened if it, he hadn't been injured yeah and he just like i was i meant to want to ask you about this because you know better than me and had continued on in all japan like like you're saying this opens the door to him becoming the director of of the movie and creating this whole company around himself whereas if he had stayed at all japan as you're saying he's getting eaten alive he's not necessarily the best wrestler like would he have had like would we be talking about him no no, like, so, I mean, like, I just want to quit my final point about mm. the match itself. No, that's right. We're going to talk about that is that it's so bad. They have to carry him on one of the mats outside. All the wrestlers have to carry him to the back, like carrying him on this. That's how bad his knees got. But to your question, Damon, like, I don't think he would have stayed because his ambitions were so great. As, as you, as you know, in hindsight, it's like this man has a massive ego. Would he have been happy being a, just a junior heavyweight wrestler in a company that wasn't known for junior heavyweight wrestling? No, no he yeah. he would have left. And like with his limitations, I think he would have gone the 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 brawl, the the hardcore wrestling, the deathmatch style type of wrestling. Because I think he was inspired by his excursions in America, mm-hmm. particularly in, in the Memphis territory. Because that's he did that. He saw a lot of that. He participated in some of it. Well, and also in and Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, because Victor Quiones, who he meets down there, he brings over for FMW, and I think he, and obviously he's an ECW too. He's like the guy who I don't think ever gets the credit for being the the blood dude, yeah. that goes around kind of you know teaching or bringing this style. For those who don't know, have you ever watched WWF in the in the night in like when Great Sasuke and Taka come in and kind of DX? Victor Quiones is kind of part of that. Mm. He's he's like one of the most important behind the scenes guys in, in wrestling for his like for Japan, Puerto Rico, and like this trifecta of 
the Puerto Rico territory, the Japanese territory, and for the WWF because yeah. he was really tight with Vince, I think, wasn't he? I think so, and I think that's the like that's what I love about this. The wrestling is this sort of cross pollination of styles where you have, you know, obviously this sort of like American thing go to Japan, become something completely different than the influence of going these guys going to America, picking up on where it's at in America, bringing it to Japan, it going somewhere completely different and then inspiring all this stuff in America in its wake. Like, I think it, it's this sort of energy that just gets kind of passed around in wrestling. And, and because of that, it just constantly changes and becomes something new. And maybe it's different now because we're all exposed to the same thing all the time. But for watching it kind of happen when you look back at the history it's it's so it's so incredible to see unfold so you talk about cross-pollination because it's it's interesting who eventually joins onita over in fmw with the main person being i think like tarzan goto mm-hmm. i think tarzan goto started in all japan too i believe mm-hmm. and then he he went to new uh fmw he wrestled a lot in fmw against onita but also like later on uh, Samson Fuyuki, who was in the tag team Footloose with with Kawada, and they were both part of uh, Genichiro Tenru's FM uh, Revolution stable. And then, you know, Tenru forms War, mm-hmm. uh, forms SWS and War, and, and Fuyuki goes with him because he's he's Fuyuki, he's Tenru's boy. But when FM when uh, War basically shuts down, Fuyuki goes to FMW and he brings with him two junior heavyweights that he's that he's the mentor to jado and ghetto yeah so they start wrestling in fmw a lot in the later part of fmw i remember reading them because i was in japan in the early 2000s and i was reading the magazines I was like well what's this what's this team no respect great faction name by the way <laughs> hey if we ever in japan together we go to totokan together we have to find matching no, team no, no respect, respect shirts, shirts okay yes. <laughs> that's the goal folks I, team no respect I think the the thing I miss most about being in Japan, obviously everything I miss most about being in Japan, but being Size able, area, yeah, every, every like food, just everything, everything, like just like every. But I miss I miss Totokan. I miss going to that store and just being like, it's like a museum, right? So you can just kind of look around and feel like you're taking it all in. But I got like ring jackets there. I bought. <laughs> there's just so much stuff I wish I had bought that I didn't buy. There was this Noah white like full length winter jacket but it was autographed so i'm like i don't i don't know and i couldn't find out by who but i'm like i don't know if i want to wear someone's autograph around right i would wear someone's autograph was on a ribera but like i wear that i i I, saw they had a ribera steak jack steakhouse jacket there for sale was like i know three grand us i was like no and it's one of those things that like buying it would feel so it'd be like buying your twitter verification check mark you know it'd be great if like if like there's like someone who i knew who's a wrestler who went (laughs) to japan already has a ribera steakhouse jacket and got a second one and then just gifted it to me yeah that's just (laughs) i'm just thinking out loud here That's, that's all i uh when we were filming the wrestlers, we went there with Kota Ibushi. And like, uh, I, like before we get there, I'm like, have you gotten a Ribera jacket? And he's like, no. I'm like, oh, my God, they're probably going to give you one. Because we called ahead and been like, we're going, we're like, we want to film. And yeah. they give us permission. They're like, what are you, who are you filming with? And we kind of told them. Well, I'm like, they're going to give you the fucking jacket. And he's like, you think? And I'm like, yeah, dude. Like, why wouldn't they? Yeah. And so we're there, we're eating. And then we're just like all waiting at the end. And I'm like looking at him. And I'm just like. I'm sorry, like you know, like you didn't ask. <laughs> no, we didn't ask, but they didn't offer either. I'm like, I don't know how this works. Like, I don't think they give them to Japanese wrestlers. I don't think they give them to Japanese wrestlers. That's what I thought. Afterwards. I've never seen a Japanese wrestler wearing a Rivera stick. That's jacket. what I was wondering. Like, is it just something they only give it to the Gaijin wrestlers that yeah. come in? Only the the we should say Gaikokujin. Oh, that's right. I mean, uh, it's okay. Sorry, yeah, it's okay. We, I, you know, we're correcting uh, white people. It's part of my job. Up. I need to catch up uh, on, on this on on this series. Uh, <laughs> Gai Kokujin. Gaijin means like is kind of a pejorative. Okay. We shouldn't say that. Gai Kokujin means just means foreign person. Okay. But I could see why Gaijin was then used for wrestlers referring to other wrestlers, maybe then. Yeah, they like most wrestlers back then, they, they don't know <laughs> Not shit. Not a lot of love loss. Yeah, no, no. They don't know shit about like, oh, what does this mean? Who cares? We're just gonna say it. Well, I think Terry Funk put it best in that Cole Caban episode where he's like, in America, we were trying to make a work look like a shoot. In Japan, you're trying to make a shoot look like a work. Like there was no love loss between that first generation of no. wrestlers. No, they they like beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so let's talk about Asishi Onita. You yes. had the chance 
to meet him. When when you interviewed him, maybe on screen or off screen, did he talk about Jam Baba at all? He we talked a little bit about it because we talked about like the, the way the the interview kind of came together. We were told like, okay, you're going to have him for this amount of time. If he likes you, he'll ask you to meet up again. So the first time we went in, um, and once again, all credit to Bahu for kind of having this sort of resource for me. But I was like, I was ready to go in. I've watched a lot of Onita, and I wanted to talk about his history. And I just went in. We talked about the history of it. I bought this at Totacon, which is the promo from the first FMW Let's get show. It. Let's get it closer. This is- I got him to sign it on there with a pen. And he was just um, – but, yeah, we talked about Baba, and he talked about how there was like sort of this like real, like, what am I going to do with my life? moment it seems like he like you're saying he had this sort of oversized ambition but it was also and it's hard to separate the legend from the reality with ever all all people I, in entertainment i i think he would have looked at people like fujinami in mm-hmm. new japan and like fujinami went from being you know the premier junior heavyweight of, of new japan at the time to graduating to heavyweight status and becoming you know like him and ricky choshi basically you know, were the guys in the late eighties for that company. They were the guys who headlined everything. They were the two biggest stars. They were the perennial, like IWGP heavyweight champions. I'm sure he looked at Fujinami and thought, I'm going to be like that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be like Fujinami. I'm going to become triple crown champion or the PWF champion. And then later the triple crown champion, I'm going to be the same level as Jumbo and Tenru. But he probably, Baba probably was not going to let that happen with him. And though he was like, his his knees give out probably in this match as we're talking mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. and then he he retires for like about seven years. I think he, yeah, he takes years off, and he, I think he's even working as a janitor at one point. Like he had a bunch of failed real estate investments, and it was he kind of went through a spiral, you know. And that's according to him too. Like he was there was a real depression, yeah. And he came back to it out of desperation, you know. And he went to I think it was like the Karate Federation, and once again I'm probably makes up the actual name of the organization, but he goes there and issues a, a challenge and out of this goes to a karate competition and, and doesn't do any of the karate just shoots on the guy and starts shoots for takedowns and starts choosing pro wrestling moves, which eventually led to them doing that first frontier martial arts wrestling thing. Yeah. And it, it was out of this sort of like need. It's almost, it's interesting though, when you think about him, Kota Bushi's this way too, where like you talk to these guys and they're like, I had to do this, you know, to Keshida too. Like they're like, I, I emailed the found the guy, the head of the company, or I wrote a letter or I called up the head of the company and I was like, I need to do this. And then they get brought in as a young boy and trained, but it felt like all these people were kind of like, I had to do it. And you talk to Onita and it's like his mom, he was, he was supporting his mom at the time. And he turned to wrestling to kind of make it happen. And it wasn't like, well, I'm going to do wrestling because I like wrestling or I'm going to do wrestling and I hope I succeed in it. It's like, no, I'm going to do wrestling and I'm going to make good on it because I have to. And there's no other way for me to do things. It's been said like he was really like a really loyal to Baba when he Mm -hmm. started off. He's he he was really diligent in the dojo from my reading of it. Um, And like when he, he was like one of, Baba's ring boys, like, you know, taking his robe, taking it back to the ring, to the locker room, things like that. So he was really, he was really like loyal to Baba up to that point. But like when his injuries come out, his career seemingly is over. Baba has not any use for him. It's like, basically you you can't, you can't wrestle. Like Mm -hmm. I can't use you. I don't know if he offered him a a job in like the office or (laughs) who knows. I don't know. But he, he becomes like the guy, the guy who starts FMW, the guy who, pioneers like you know modern like you're saying modern wrestling in general with these like because fmw is a clear influence on on ecw but but like deathmatch wrestling this genre that has basically become its own type of wrestling in yeah. the sense like I, I i if you only watch deathmatch wrestling and you never watched any traditional wrestling but you still consider yourself a wrestling fan like i would say yeah okay like that's yeah. that's its own form of it it's mm-hmm. like saying you know like you have mainstream films yep. and then you have like you know like different like you know art house films that's like death match wrestling is like kind of a version of art house cinema for wrestling yeah it's like it, death metal music or like gore grind music like onita said he's like there's 
country music. There's rock music. He's like, we were the punk metal yeah. of wrestling. Yeah. And I think now where it's evolved, like with freedoms and all, big Japan and all this sort of and, and stuff that's going on in America and GCW, it's, it's now like power violence and, and gore grind. And it's a lot more kind of a lot of the tethering it to older traditional wrestling is kind of being stripped away as time goes on. Mind you, then it's all come back around. Like now it's on TV with AEW. It's wild to see people that like, I would be like, I remember talking to Chris Jericho on tour one time with, because we we're our bands toured together and on a festival in Australia and being like, you ever watch any of that deathmatch wrestling? And just be him being like, ah, no. And then I would hear he's doing deathmatch. I've seen deathmatches. <laughs> he did bleed though. He was bleeding in Smoky Mountain. So. Oh yeah. He, he must have bled in oh, God, war. Yeah. There's that one. Have you seen that Smoky Mountain match where he like, it's just sheets, the referees covered in blood. No, no, it's no. him in, um, and uh, what's his? Uh, I can't believe I'm blanking. Uh, Tony Anthony? No, the Canadian, the other Canadian. Oh, guy, Lance. Lance. Lance Storm. Lance Storm. And uh, and then Jericho just hits a gusher. He said he was on painkillers because he had hurt his leg the uh, day before, and it's just sheets of blood. So he wasn't above bleeding. Talking about cross pollination again, we also like you think about um, people that came under Onita's tutelage in FMW. Two, the two prominent names would be one is Hayabusa mm-hmm. and the other would be Masato Tanaka. And Hayabusa did a short stint for, for Baba in a tag team with uh, one Jinsei Shinzaki. These are great matches. I'm gonna, Unbelievable I, we're, matches. I'm actually going to talk about, I've talked about one of their tag matches uh, on the first episode of this, of this series, but I'm going to talk about it. Actually, next month's episode is going to be talking about a Hayabusa Jinsei Shinzaki match picked by uh, Alan Cunahan, actually, aka Alan Farrell. I shouldn't really oh. say this because we haven't recorded it yet. I, oh, just, no. I just was in email with with Alan, and we're just picking out the, the, the schedule for that. So, that's but like, that, that's tentatively next 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 episode. That's that's podcast curse. So I'm fingers crossed that we don't. So have we curse. should be okay. Should yeah. be okay. But but those so Hayabusa did work for briefly for a little bit for for uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling. I would have like if he jumped. I've done. I don't want to get. FMW fanboys mad at me, but if he jumped, it would have been fucking awesome. Yeah, I think I think the thing is, I think Baba would have pushed him. Yeah, I think, and I think he could have. He was one of those guys that I think if he had been in a different, he was carrying that company for a long time. FMW, yeah. and if he had been somewhere else where he didn't necessarily have to carry the company, and he could have just been, been, been like a a guy on the roster and kind of become the star. I think, yeah, like he could have. There's photos of him and Vince. You know, like I think he could have been a crossover star. He had such a cool look. And such a cool style. Well, Vince still has looked for uh, Al Snow, right? Avatar? Yeah, Avatar. That's right. <laughs> so, Vince was definitely a fan of the Hayabusa there. The other thing with T- Masato Tanaka I want to talk about is this guy, in between the demise of FMW and the start of Zero One, yeah. he does a brief stint in in the post-Exodus All Japan with like, but for whatever reason, he doesn't get picked up by them. They don't offer him a contract, but then Shinya Hashimoto says, hey, come work for me. You and Otani are going to be my guys underneath me. And then he's basically been part of Zero One yeah, ever for, since. The last, for the last 22 years. So um, all Japan's lost. Like when he started, like, okay, this post-exodus, what are they going to do? You know? There you like go. Tanaka. There, Masato Tanaka. Is he wearing his shorts or his long boys? Long boys, right? No, those are his fire shorts. shorts. The fire his, shorts? His, his Dangan, Dangan shorts. The long boys are kind of oh, like... Oh, with a three-quarter length hand? No, no, they were like... They were like kind of like when Onita wore like football style pants before the jeans. Okay. Like th- there's a time where Onita wore that. So Masada Tanaka kind of had a similar look. Okay. But yeah, Masada Tanaka in like all Japan, I was like, build the company around this guy. Oh, he's him and Kawada building around them. But no, they didn't, they him, didn't get him. Some of those, him versus Mike Awesome on that ECW DVD, I think Barbed Wire, I got it up there. But seeing that for the first time was, it was just like, what is this? Like, this does not look like anything I'd seen before like just how and some and the, some of their matches i'll just watch on youtube just over like just being like i can't believe how good these two guys were and how how and like neither one of them ever felt like they hit that potential they could have hit well mike awesome hit. also short stint in all yeah. japan in the in the late in 99 before the exodus before he gets basically goes to ecw he's doing some all japan dates with you know having singles with Co- or tech, like there's a singles with Kobashi and like other people. And like, he would have been, I think Baba would have pushed or Masao at the time was a booker. He would have pushed him as the next, like 
Stan Hansen yeah. and the company. So it, it wasn't meant to be, folks. And, uh, you know. One of the best big men of all time, I think. We, you know, interestingly enough, I agree with you. But compared to guys in WCW, when he went there, he was not actually that not that big. Yeah. But one of the best best high flyers, yes. surprisingly, in, in wrestling was, was, was the Gladiator. Mike, awesome. But, uh, yeah, any, any, any final thoughts or comments you want to make about Onita in this period or in general? I think, uh, I think Onita is definitely someone who, as you're saying, like he might not be the best technical wrestler of all time. And certainly in all Japan, there are some of the greatest technical wrestlers of all time, but like the fact that he's another person that came out of this system that went on to do something completely different in wrestling just shows how foundational this is for where wrestling went in every way. Yeah. I mean, I, I would argue that, you know, all Japan in its history was a breeding ground for people to branch off into other promotions and including pro Noah, FMW, big Japan pro wrestling more than new Japan, new Japan. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys just stayed in new Japan Mm -hmm. for the most part. Like, you know, the big offshoot of new Japan would be like two of them would be like UWFI, you know, the shoot style with like my, my, Akira Maeda forming, you know, going, doing his own thing there. And then later on Shinya Hashimoto with zero one, which is like its own, the creation of of zero one is its own funny story because it was meant to be like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to create an, our own offshoot promotion that we're going to use as in for an invasion angle. And then it became its own promotion. <laughs> legit. That's Japanese wrestling for you folks, by the way. And we use their dojo. That's a lot of the stuff we shot with. Um, well, stardom at the time was using their dojo. So we, all the stuff we shot with stardom was there. And it was so awesome to kind of like look around and see all the zero one barbed wire kind of tucked behind the ring and all this sort of rusty deathmatch shit that was also just lying around. There you go, folks. He's been in the Zero One Dojo. Uh, <laughs> I, I was I, very I, lucky. That's my thing. I would about that wrestling show. I feel like I, I wanted that show just to be like, this is my fantasy of what a year in wrestling traveling the world would be like. And then they made it. And then it, so just to get to live that every day was just surreal. Can I say my favorite, like the start episode? Yeah. And the Latin American episode. Which, that was. I, I love those episodes. I think that, like wrestler. when we were in. Uh, Thank you for that. But like when we're in like um we're doing the um uh the the one in uh uh Nunavik up in north way north of Quebec and we're there and then all of a sudden Kaito Kiyomiya is there and we're like, What the hell are you doing here? And he's like, I'm on excursion and no one speaks Japanese. His English got a lot better, I think, over the course of that trip, but he did not have a lot of English, um certainly spoken English, conversational English. And he's like, yeah, they just shipped me over here. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm in the middle. Now now he's, you know, well, he was supposed to be one of the biggest stars in, in wrestling. But, hey, Keiji Mudo took care of not making that happen. <laughs> I love Keiji Mudo, but you know, let's be realistic. Anyways, uh, th- Damien, thank oh, you for thank having you me over. Have, great great you. episode. Live remote episode here in Chateau the Fucked Up. Uh you know, I was you know I was gonna make this joke just as behind when I knocked on your door. If you answered the door, your 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 lovely wife answered yes. the door. But if I you answered, I was like, "Hi, I'm looking for the house of Alex Lifeson." Rush, <laughs> is this it? I told you my story where I met him one time. Did you? No. Yeah, we like we we got asked to open for the Foo Fighters, and uh, the Doughboys were opening too. The Foo Fighters asked the Doughboys to get back together and do a read. You know, when the Foo Fighters ask a band to get back together, they do apparently. And so we're there, and I'm watching the Foo Fighters on the side of the stage, and the singer of the Doughboys, John Castor, comes up, and he goes, Damien, I'd like to introduce you to someone. And I'm like, turn around, and it's Bubbles from the Trailer Park Boys. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not a big Trailer Park Boys fan, but I'm like, oh, shit, the Trailer Park Boys, dude. And then I'm like, hey, to his buddy. And I walk away, and I'm standing on the other side of the stage, and I'm like, that's fucking Alex Lifeson. <laughs> He's just hanging out with Bubbles from Trailer Park. For those of you who don't know, Alex Lifeson is the legendary guitarist of Rush. One of the greatest Canadian bands of all time. <laughs> One of the greatest Canadian bands of all time. And as soon as I got across the stage and got a distance from him, I realized who it was. But yeah, I used to smoke weed with Getty Lee's son. So because he uh, he was he was friends with a friend of mine. So there are some rush connections. There you go. There you go. The, this, I'm six degrees of Getty Lee. <laughs> six degrees. Holy fuck. That's amazing. You know, like, see, if you met Getty Lee in the wild, you would you would totally recognize him. I would definitely. Oh, my God. So, you know, if I heard his voice from across the room, I'd recognize it. Yeah. Have you heard that song by Pavement where they're like, <laughs> the lyric is like, I wonder if Geddy Lee's voice is actually that high. 
And then one of the other members of the band goes, yeah, I met him one time. His voice is really that it's, high. It is that high. Have you ever seen him in interviews? Great synth player, besides being a great... Uh, Everyone in that player. band. And, you know, they were, like, they were, when they first, first started, like, that first album's fucking awesome, like, the hard rock record. Yeah. But uh, they would play with, like, Teenage Head, and they were, like, really kind of, like, the hard rock scene in Toronto would eventually become the metal stuff and the progressive stuff and then the punk stuff. But they were all kind of together, mixing it up, playing together. We're getting music lesson, uh, Toronto music scene, on top of like 80s Asushi Onita in all Japan later on to FMW. What what a fucking show. When Onita said FMW is the punk rock of wrestling, my heart exploded. Like that was the greatest moment of my life. So um, before we go, Damien, I want to thank all the listeners this year for their support. We had some awesome guests, as you said before, Tom Waller. We had Eddie Kingston on this on, on this year. We had like just so many great guests, like JP and JP Land. John Pollock finally got on this show. He's never come on Turn Out of Punk. He promised me every year, and it's eight years in. I so his, I have his phone number. It's fine. Okay, well, you won't let me have that. So I like I, it's easy for me to get him to coerce him to come on. I used to text. I used to text him and Way together. Right there's like this group text. And then I'm listening to the podcast. Like I sent them like a really sweet message after the WWE Saudi Arabia show where they were on air. Like, yeah. I wonder if people like so responded. So I sent them a text being like, yo, guys, I just want you to know, I thought that episode was really great that you guys did and really thoughtful, you know? And then way writes back, like, thanks, Damien. Below. Nothing from John. I'm listening to the fucking post. And John's like, I hate the group text chat. I'm in with Damien. Like, <laughs> like what the dude, what? John has never said anything bad about me. Private messaging <sighs> him. So. You know, they, maybe that's uh, it tells you everything you need to know. But one thing I want to talk about, we got a plug, Damien. Like, I should, I if I had the fourth uh, foresight to to remember to wear it, I I would have worn the new long and winding railroad T shirt that's going to be on sale by the time you listen to this. Way as promised me, it's going to have dropped by the time you you watch this or listen to this. So, hey, go go buy it. It's designed by my friend Josh Rosen. It's got the five pillars. We we decided to add Junakiyama to the to the images, and uh, hey, it's on sale. Post store Go get it. It's a great uh, late Christmas gift. I don't think it'll arrive before Christmas, but if you want to get it for a New Year's gift for somebody, why not? Yeah, exactly. Like our Orthodox holidays are right afterwards. You know, some famous people might be wearing this shirt That's out in the wild. Who knows? Buy you it now. Like them. Cool, like them. Buy it now or see it on uh, TV later. TV later, like. <laughs> We'll talk about. It. I'll tell you about that in private. Anyways, I can't talk about it on air. Well, I, I haven't told. Yeah, we. we didn't, I didn't get to tell my story about the former guest hosts on uh, on this show uh, wanting to beat up our camera guy advice. <laughs> Hello, there you go. All right, but uh, yeah, you know we're gonna wrap it up here. Next year, twenty twenty three is gonna be a big year. Another big year for the show. We're gonna have a lot more cool guests. Talk a lot, a lot more cool matches. Alan Goodhand, hopefully, he's gonna kick things off. Alan Farrell, if in January, we shall see. Hopefully, you know, cross our fingers. But uh, until then, thank you very much, Damien. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for having me. And until next time, see you later and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>